0: Good morning. How is everybody? Good. I'm glad to see you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to all of you that are joining us online. Really grateful that you've uh, joined us this morning. We are, guess where we're going to be this morning? Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. This is the fourth week in the same passage, but I'm going to reiterate this is like holding up a diamond in the light and looking at it in lo- from lots of different directions. And so we've talked a lot about being devoted. The reason we were thinking about this particular concept for a series is we as a church feel like we really regathered really well after the pandemic and all of that, <clears throat> but reengagement has been more difficult. And we wanted to look at, you know, what is it in the, with the earliest Christians, what is it that they were devoted to? and how should we as 21st century Christians be devoted to those same things? And so that's what we're looking at in Acts: 242 to 47. Um, while you're turning there, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you while you're turning there. Uh, let me just invite you. Uh, Wednesday night, which is March 1st, which is this Wednesday, we're going to have a special time of prayer, a night of prayer here from 6.30 to 8. We did that all through the month of January. It was very powerful. We want to start that first, month, first Wednesday of each uh, month now for, for a season. Uh, but something unique has been happening since we prayed in January and since uh, today, and that is revival has been breaking uh, loose among Generation Z on college campuses all over the place. Lots of people have lots of ideas about what that is. All I know is I see a bunch of 20-year-olds staying and praying and repenting and being saved and praising Jesus for it. Uh, That's phenomenal. God's doing something unique. And so to that end, yeah. To that end... um, I've invited our student ministry to come be a part of that, and I, in chapel last week, invited uh, all of our secondary students from Bay Area Christian School to come, because I believe that God's doing something magnificent in their generation, and we need to pray with them, for them, we need to be led by them in some instances, and so uh, I hope that you'll come and uh, and be a part of that, all right? That's March 1st, uh, so... Mark your calendar. Um, All right. Stand with me. We're going to read Acts chapter 42 to 47. And uh, if you're our guest, we say this phrase at the end of the main text, reading the very words just to distinguish God's word from my, uh, my own. So here's what the scripture says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You can be seated. So let me just put you back in the historical context for just a moment so we can think about this uh, properly, and then we'll apply it to, uh, to our situation today. So in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, this comes just after Pentecost that is profound in the mind of most Christians. It's actually a celebration that happens once a year uh, in the Hebrews called Shavuot, The first Shavuot was a giving of the law uh, at Mount Sinai to the people, and then that was celebrated year after year after year. When we come to Pentecost in the book of Acts, this is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to give the Holy Spirit to the disciples and then to the Christians. And so the Holy Spirit does descend on the disciples, the apostles. Uh, People say it was like flames, like tongues of, of fire. Uh, they heard the apostles speaking in their own languages, which if you don't know that that construct of that particular day, what that means is there were lots of people from all over the world that came to the temple because it was the epicenter, because either they were interested in God or they were worshiping God at Shavuot. They spoke many different languages, and the result was the Holy Spirit fell, and all these people with different languages as their first languages, heard the Holy, heard the Holy Spirit speaking through the, the apostles in their language. It was a miraculous time. And then Peter, who had once denied Jesus, uh, not once but three times uh, before the crucifixion in fear, uh, he stands up and preaches full of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he, and man, it's a if if we could just just go through that sermon. Minute by minute, it's an amazing sermon. And the bottom line, it's full of courage. It's very empowered. And it calls the same people who crucified Jesus to repent and to follow him. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And they do. The 3,000 people come to Christ and they baptize them in the mikvah right around the Temple Mount there. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of mikvah or ritual baths there that they baptize them in. And then we come to Acts 2, we've been reading Acts 2, 42 to 47, and we learn how the earliest Christians sort of operated in that time frame, how they were walking with Jesus, how they were living together. And we talked about their devotion to doctrine, to the apostles' teaching, everything that the apostles learned from Jesus, and they were teaching, they they were devoted to that. They were devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, we talked a lot about that. And Today, what I want to do is talk about a devotion that they had to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the obsession of Jesus. If you look at all of his teachings, you'll find that he speaks over and over again about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is here. The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. He speaks about it over and over again. And When we come to this section of the book of Acts, what we're finding is that the Lord is adding to his number in the kingdom day by day. And I'm keenly interested in Acts 2, 46 to 47 today, uh, where it simply says, and day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So let me just Let's make a couple of observations. Number one is that the Lord, the work of salvation is the work of the Lord. The work of salvation is the work of the Lord. And we find that in Acts 2, 47, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You you, you have to recognize the initiative Uh, is the initiative of the Lord in this text. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the work of salvation, it belongs to the Lord, but it, we, I think there are three things that we, we should consider in that regard. The first is that He is our salvation. So if you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, 9 and 10, and it says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is buried in the story of Zacchaeus. Do you remember Zacchaeus, the short little dude in the tree? He invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus forgives him. He repents and and becomes a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. Well, why has salvation come to Jesus' house? It's because Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house. You got all the names right. I got that mixed up, but Z- Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house. So Jesus is salvation, and He gives us His mission statement here: "For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." That's all on His initiative. He's the one who's doing the seeking. He's the one who's doing the saving. So, he is our salvation. The second thing we have to realize is that he initiates our salvation. So, Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it just says for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. I mean, that's on the initiation of God. We don't we're not we're not talking about manufacturing something with a program but the grace of God appearing by the Spirit of God leading people to salvation, this is on his initiative. He does the saving. And then three, he completes our salvation. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for God has not destined us to wrath or for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So... Think about this for a minute, that the destination of all of us that have been saved in Christ is not a destination of wrath, but to obtain that salvation that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to one day complete this salvation in such a way that you, uh, you know the content, you know the gospel, many of you, but you are going to be uh, mesmerized by the completion of this salvation when you come past this sanctifying life that we're living to glorification where you step into the presence of heaven, into the (laughs) presence of God, where there is no more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore. Sin is outside the camp. You don't have the impact of your own sin in your life. You don't have the impact of other people's sin in your life. This is going to be a stunning day, whenever that day is, whether the Lord comes or whether you pass from this life to the next first It's going to be an incredible day. He does that work. The work of salvation is the work of the Lord. Now, the second thing that we have to take a look at here is that the earliest followers of Jesus had an obvious sense of mission. They had an obvious sense of mission. If you just uh, go back to verse uh, 46, it says, and day by day attending the temple... It seems like uh, not much of a statement, but it's actually a huge statement. And what that means is, is two things. One is that the people who have now followed Jesus for salvation and are worshiping him as Lord are still attending the temple daily for prayers. But the temple is not only a place of prayer. If you know that culture very well, you know that the temple is a place for intellectual, religious, and philosophical discourse, for argument, for argument you would be, as Americans, radically uncomfortable of the, about the level of argument that takes place even this moment right now on the Temple Mount, in front of the Western Wall, in the rabbinic tunnels. It's passionate. It's loud. It's in other languages. I mean, you would, you're just uncomfortable because it's not our culture. But that culture, they're there. They're there to study the text. They're there to connect with God. They're there to know God more by discussing together the things of God, arguing about things they're passionate about when it comes to God. And in that way, they would say in that way, they know God uh, better. Well, if they continued to go to the temple day by day those earliest believers were actually uh, a part of those discussions. They continued to attend the temple, not only to show that they were still sort of Jewish somehow, but to imply that their sense of mission. When you think about it, the Temple Mount is the epicenter of the gospel, right? So it says, Jesus said, it'll go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the uh, earth. And those earliest Christians are going to the temple mount, to the temple to pray and attend day by day. They're discoursing with their Jewish brothers and sisters. They're, they're having intellectual, logical debates. Acts chapter 5, verse 42, in case you don't believe me. And every day in the temple from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior. This comes, Acts 5.42, comes after they had been arrested and beating for preaching the gospel. Guess where? In the temple. They had a dire sense of mission. They had a clear sense of mission. I believe that they rolled this out in an intellectual way, in a factual way. You can see this in Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2. The intellectual way is uh, simply, here are the facts, and here is the logic. Uh, the, the, the relational and heartfelt way is, men of Israel, they, we're brothers. You know, we need to come to Jesus together. This is our God. You know, they're Shema people, hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So it was intellectual and factual, but it's also relational and heartfelt. This bleeds into the Apostle Paul's ministry. Uh, in Romans chapter 9, 1 to 5, in his letter to the, to the church at Rome, he says this, and, and I want you to catch this because, and, and ask yourself, am I anything like this? Think about this for a minute. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, that's his Jewish brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God overall blessed forever, amen. I was thinking about Paul's passion for the Jewish people. He he has now moved to take the gospel to the Gentiles but he's agonizing over the Jewish people and this is what he says and this is where I'm not there yet. This is what he says. I'd rather be cursed than cut off from Christ so that my brothers could know him. I'd rather be cursed than cut off from Christ that my brothers might know him. That is a deep love for people. That is a deep sense of mission. I'm telling you, I did not lie when I said I'm not there yet. I struggled with that this week. Do I care about anybody enough that I might be cut off from Christ? For their sake, I'm not there yet. I wish I was. I don't want to be cut off from Christ. I don't want to be cursed. And maybe this is exaggeration language. Maybe he's making a point, all those kinds of things, you know. But what we know is that this is a deep sense of mission toward people who have missed Jesus. I just want you to think about your family your neighborhood, your workplace, and you're not going to the temple, but you certainly have these domains that you operate in, full of people. Now, we have have to go here in this moment. If we're going to talk about what it means to be devoted to kingdom work, we have to understand the why. You know, it's not just that you need to share the gospel. Go do it, church. I've heard that sermon before. This is connecting with the deep understanding that all the Bible is true. Number one, that God recognizes and is at war with sin. He's at war with it. And anyone born into sin is at war with God. That's the Bible, not me at war with God. When you go to war with God, you lose. The Bible says they're at war with God. The Bible says that, the, that sin, those things that we do that miss the mark, and it's, you know, people like to talk, talk about their, their kind of sins that are palatable, but they, don't, they hide a bunch of sins that are not palatable to whatever culture they're living in, but God sees all of that. He knows all of that about me. He knows all of that about you. He knows all that about your neighbor. It says in the Bible, you've heard this before, but it says the wages of sin is death. The wages, what we earn because of sin is death. It also says it's appointed for man and woman once to die and then face the judgment. So according to the scripture, we show up. You realize, like, just go back for just a minute. Like, how many of you remember being in your mother's womb? No one, really. If you do, I want to talk to you after this. Uh, You didn't have any choice about that. Um, The family that you were born into, you didn't have any choice about that. That was... That was all creator God. When you die, you know, we think we control things, but you don't know exactly how you're going to die. And then when you do die, what do you control the second your heart stops beating? You control none of that. Whose hands are you in? In God's hands. You know, all these promises that he makes to us in the scripture about new life and resurrection and restoration and being in heaven with him when we die and and him coming back again and all that, we have no control over. That is his initiation. There is simply one thing that we have input on. We can, according to the scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not die eternally but have everlasting life. According to the scripture, there is a place called Sheol, Gehenna, Hell. Where if heaven is a place where there is no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, and Sheol, Gehenna, Hell is described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, it's said of the final judgment in the book of Revelation that that uh, Lucifer, the enemy, and all his cronies will be thrown into the lake of fire. Even death and Hades will die in there. Everything will be judged, including me, including you. Every person on the planet, even the nice guys. He's a nice guy. Everyone will be judged. And so whether you show up because you died of of cancer, and you show up at 75, having lived on this earth for 75 years, or or whether Jesus returns, whichever comes first, we go through this judgment, and the judge is perfect according to the scripture. He's holy, he's righteous, and just, perfectly just, and he judges not your uh, your. Uh, How many, like I'll just use my own life, like how many goals I scored in college or how many books I wrote. He doesn't judge that. (laughs) He's judging like my sin. And so when I show up, my only hope, according to the scripture, this is Brian, not Brian, this is the scripture. My only hope is to show up under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And the only way I have that is, is the, the, the Lord, by his spirit, he does this wooing of my spirit. I was at, we went to our home church yesterday to speak at a, a conference, Kingsland. When I say my home church, I mean like I was discipled there, preached my first sermon there, served on staff there for several years. She grew up there. Her family's still there. There's this window. And... I was sitting there listening to someone else speak, and I was looking at this window, and I remembered when I was like 17 years old looking at the same window and thinking about ministry. Like, while they were singing all the songs, my head was just like, Zzzz. what does this look like? I, I experienced so much grace there, and I was thinking about that yes, yesterday, like, um, The Holy Spirit does that kind of wooing, and he does the wooing that says, uh, you know, you need Jesus, something bigger than yourself to rescue yourself from sin. And so uh, when we, according to the Bible, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, justified, made right before God. It's only in Christ. It's exclusive. It's one way. Anybody can come, but it's exclusive. It's one way, according to the, to the Bible. You live in a pluralistic society where most people want it to be lots of different ways. But according to the Bible, either Jesus is a liar or there's one way. I'm gonna go with the one way. And so the, the reality is the reality is all of your friends, all of your family, all of your neighbors, all of your coworkers, everybody that you're afraid to talk to because you work with them, you don't know how it's going to go off, everybody in your family, it's like it's awkward, we've had these conversations before, it goes bad, every time. all that stuff that makes it hard to talk to someone about Jesus, the reality is that they have this lifetime to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart God raised him from the dead. After that there's no other opportunity after they die. According to the scripture. That's it. You get one life. You don't know how long it is. The Holy Spirit does the wooing. When you hear him, you should respond. And you respond by repentance, humility, save my soul. Right? I am my testimony in short. I'm a sinner saved By grace, that's it. And that's all I need. That is all I need. You know, and that's all everybody needs. And so I I just want you to think about this for a minute because when you're talking about all of this and you're thinking about, do, do I love people? I want you to know the ramifications. The kingdom work that we're saying we're devoted to, yes, the Lord does the work of salvation, but still the earliest Christians were were, uh, bent on mission and going to the temple and being arrested for preaching and teaching in the temple, those kinds of things. They're bent on mission and the motivation is love. And in their minds, they rejoice when they come out of prison because they counted it as a, a joy to be persecuted like their rabbi, Jesus, was persecuted. For the gospel's sake. That's the kingdom work. And in it, the Lord added to their number day by day. If the Lord, it's my third observation, the Lord does the work of salvation, why do we need to do anything? If the Lord does the work of salvation, why do we need to do anything? People ask that question in big theological circle, circles. The Lord does the work. Why do we need to do anything? Well, the short answer is the king of the kingdom that we're talking about today, Jesus, he chooses to work through us by his Holy Spirit to bring people to salvation. That's how he's working. It's through you and through me. The kingdom of heaven has embassies, ambassadors, messengers, and servants on the world today. Embassies are churches Every kingdom has embassies all over the world, right? You see how it works in the world. United States has embassies all over the world. You run into that place, you be in, you know, wherever in the Middle East, you get in trouble, you go to the embassy. Because once you get inside the door, you're on United States soil. Now, just track with me for a minute. The kingdom of heaven has embassies all over the world. It's dangerous out there, but once you come in the door, you're on holy ground. Not because of the building, because of the people. Because of who they are worshiping. Because of the spirit that fills them on the inside. They're embassies, they're ambassadors. Guess who the ambassadors are? The people that go out from the embassies into the world every day, that's you and that's, that's me. Guess who the messengers are? The ones who carry good news on behalf of the king, the gospel, and we go into the world every day. Guess who the servants are? Those who follow Jesus, who say, I'm a bondservant, I'm a doulos, I, I give him the work of my hands, the direction of my feet, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. Uh, use it for your glory. And that's how God works. He works through everyday ordinary people by the power of his Holy Spirit in the domains their feet take them to every day. Every day. You're doing more out there than we're doing in here. That's the plan. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20 to 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This was Paul's message. He thought of himself as an ambassador. His message was, I implore you, be reconciled to God who sent Jesus who never sinned to take on the penalty of sin so that we could be free from sin. That's the short message, the gospel. He's an ambassador. You're an ambassador. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is, he was telling his disciples as he ascended to heaven. As you're going, that's the that that's how the, the Greek reads, as you're going. Make disciples of all nations. This is the kingdom work. This is what's passed down from one disciple to the next. uh, We're on mission. We're doing ministry as we are going. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, let's make it happen now. Kick Rome out of here. Restore Israel to to its, its power. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. You will receive power. So all I've heard so far is we're supposed to be on mission. We're ambassadors carrying a message from the king to the world in the everyday places we go to. He has all authority, so we don't have anything to fear. He empowers us, so we have all the power we need to do that. We don't have anything to fear. 1 Peter chapter 3, 13-15, to 15, Peter wrote to a church struggling with persecution in Asia Minor. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is, and this is Peter saying, hey, you're you're facing persecution. On behalf of Jesus, you're right. Don't be afraid. Instead, share the gospel Give everyone a reason for the hope that you have, even in the midst of persecution, and do it with gentleness and respect. Not like the the vernacular of our day, but with gentleness and respect. Honoring them as whoever they are, as someone created in the image of God, a fellow sinner who needs to be saved by grace. That is the kingdom work. That's what the disciples were about, the apostles were about, the earliest Christians were about. They were devoted to the kingdom so much so that they were devoted to a kingdom work. Last night, Angela got a phone call at like 10.30. She's been a student ministry uh, small group leader for like 27 years or something crazy. So she, uh, she has a lot of like students that grew, grew up. And um Whenever she gets a phone call, like 10.30 from one of them, it's like, oh, no, you know, it's just a bad situation. But it wasn't a bad situation. This, uh, this, this girl called, and I could hear the whole thing because she was talking so loud. She was zealous. And I'll be honest. I was like, shh, it's late. <laughs> and she'd been sharing Christ with a friend over and over again at college. She's 21 years old. This friend is Muslim. friend's getting uh, so close to coming to Christ. And there's spiritual warfare going on. And this the the enemy does not want to let loose of this one. And she's been so brave and so courageous and so faithful and so compassionate, so gentle, so respectful. And she's like, what do I do? And Angela's giving her some counsel. And she goes, I heard her say, this was her words. And if this could be all, all our words, man, she said, I'm going to go finish my homework. I have some homework that's due by midnight. I got to submit. But Then I'm going to go get, get on my knees and I'm going to go to war for that girl. 21. Oh, can we all have that fire? That's the work of the kingdom. You might think you're here uh, for a lot of different reasons as a follower of Jesus. It's easy to get distracted in our culture, chasing a lot of things. You know, some of you are highly successful in certain career fields, and some of you are giving your whole life to, to career and home, and and we're all hoofing it, right? Don't forget the reason that you're in that, whatever that domain is, whether it be home and family and investment or home and career or career and whatever it is, you're there. As a disciple of Jesus devoted to the kingdom, an ambassador, a messenger, a servant, you have a gospel, good news. It's better than any news they've ever heard. And the people in your sector, in your domain of society, they, they need this good news. They have real ramifications ahead of them for how they deal with. In this life, with the good news. And the good news is simple. Like maybe you think to yourself, I don't know how to share. Because that's what I hear people say all the time. I don't know how. Here's what I do. I didn't learn this in seminary, by the way, so take that off the table. I didn't learn it in an academic program. I learned how Jesus changed my life. I'm honest with my own sin with people and I tell them I can't, I couldn't defeat that those problems by myself. I couldn't. And I believe what the Bible says that 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 because I'm a sinner I'm going to hell. I deserve that. I also believe that God loves me. And he created me in his image. That's not his best for me. That's not what he wants. And he shows me clearly in the scripture that there's some really good news, that I could be changed. I don't have to be at war with God, I don't have to be a prisoner in my sins. Some people think they're going to be caught in whatever they're sinning in the rest of their life. They really think, like, I'm never going to get out of this. And you just tell them, like, here's my story. Your story is powerful. Powerful, not because of who you are, but because of Jesus and how he changes things. Tell him your story and then tell them this. Like, here's what I know. Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins. I believe it with all my heart. He rose again on the third day. Lots of people saw it. We have a whole book about it. It's amazing how that book was put together. It's impossible. Yet, it all lines. And he said he's coming back again, and he said anyone who would come to him could be saved, like Zacchaeus, like Brian. You just, you just converse. Just tell your story. You don't have to pull together a PowerPoint presentation or have a little... Remember those tracks people used to give out all over the place? You don't have to have that. It's your story and the gospel. Do it with gentleness and respect. Do it in the context of relationship. If you're doing it in the workplace, be the hardest worker, the most dedicated worker in the workplace you possibly can be, the, most, the, the worker most full of integrity so that if this comes back on you, they're like, but we don't want to lose him or her because X, Y, or Z. You're oversimplifying it, Pastor Brian. You don't understand my environment. It's easy for you. I'm saying, as I read the scripture, we are people who are on mission in domains where God placed us at a crossroads. He's given you influence. Be devoted to kingdom work. And I would say as much as I want you to go on the serve tour the next hour, this is kingdom work. And here when we invest in kids and students and other adults and that kind of thing, there's lots of opportunity. But most of your time is spent out there. That's where you're doing the kingdom work. Sometimes people get that mixed up. Like it's inside certain buildings, certain days of the week, and it's not. It's not the plan. The plan is out there, through you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, carrying the gospel. That's it. So, like our friend, could you think of one person, far from God, that you love enough to say, I've got to finish a few things, but when I get done, I'm going to get on my knees and go to war for that person. And then could you actually share the gospel? This is the kingdom work. This is what we're about. This is what we do, right? Let's pray. Father, we uh, we bless your name. We thank you for your kindness to us, your goodness, your love, your grace. I thank you for the things that you call us to and the, the reality that you you have all authority, even though sometimes we feel like uh, we're fearful that you have all power, and you've you've given it to us by your Holy Spirit, God. Just empower these people as ambassadors, as messengers, as servants of you, Jesus, the King of the Kingdom. Let them carry that gospel message to their domains, their homes, their neighborhoods, their place in society where they work. Use them. Draw, I think you're doing something new right now by your spirit. God, may we be faithful just to share the gospel and see how your spirit will work. Just to love people enough to pray for them. Will you help us be faithful in that way? Empower us to do the work. Let us be devoted to it. And for anyone here today, Father, that really... Connected with the thought that they need to be rescued from their sin and they can't rescue themselves I pray that you by your spirit would do do the work of salvation in their life today That they would turn to you that you would woo them and they would see that they need to turn away from their sin and toward you Jesus Help them come to you with everything and just lay it at your feet and change them make them new give them a new identity a, a new future God, let us walk with the same burden for people that you have. Let us represent you in this world and help us to be devoted to your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name.